We're in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through uh, 23 is where we're going to be today. And I want to start out uh, this morning just reading the scripture and then uh, working directly with that. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The scripture starts out with that one word that is a favorite word of the Apostle Paul's, therefore. (laughs) It is a connecting word, and it basically tells us that there is something in the previous text that gives us the rationale for what he is about to say in this text. So what is that therefore? What has come before? It's the passage from last week. And it's the passage where Paul says that God made us alive while we were dead. It is a passage where Paul says that God has forgiven our sins. And it is a passage that says that God has canceled the debt that every one of us owes him. So with that in mind, because God has done that for us, Paul says... Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. And then he lists some things that we are not to be judged by. Now, those things, quite honestly, there's a lot of this passage that we kind of read and we scratch our heads because we don't understand. It's not part of our culture, a lot of this stuff. So I'll explain some of that, but try to get down to the uh, basic meaning and how it applies to us today. Paul was really saying to these new believers at Colossae that they were not to allow people to judge them for Old Testament regulations for behavior. Now in Colossae, there were all kinds of Gentile believers, people who had never had any affiliation with Judaism, who had become Christians. When, uh, you know, Paul sent Epaphroditus up there and other people up there and, and they led 
started the church and led people to Christ there. They had no background at all. They had no Jewish background. They didn't know all the ceremony and the ritual and all of that regulation in the Old Testament. They simply had no background in it. They hadn't been circumcised. They, they didn't know any of that. And yet there was a group of Jews who had become Christians who were constantly judging them and they were facing criticism from them and they were always telling them that they didn't measure up because they ate something the Jews were not allowed to eat. Or they didn't properly celebrate one of the Jewish feasts. Or do the fast right. Or they didn't um, do one of the celebrations that they should have done, like the new moon celebration. And then there was the issue of the Sabbath. And the Jews had not just taken what God gave Moses in the Ten Commandments, but they had just taken that many, many steps beyond until there were so many rules and so many regulations down to how, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath and you had to keep track of all of that because you didn't dare go one more step than what you could take on the Sabbath. And, and they had all of these rules for the Sabbath. And, and so they had so many rules that not even the Jews could keep track of all these rules about the Sabbath. And so instead of honoring God on the Sabbath, Jews spent their Sabbath day arguing with each other about how it was to be observed. <laughs> Completely defeating the whole purpose of the Sabbath. And these new Gentile converts, who had none of that Jewish background, none of the Old Testament background at all, all they knew is that they had come to Christ to find forgiveness for their sins, they couldn't seem to do anything right, and they just felt like they were facing judgment all the time. Our culture is not significantly different than that one. I grew up in, and some of you grew up in a culture, in which it seemed like most everyone had been to Sunday school, knew the basic Bible stories, they attended church, most of the time, most of our neighbors, all of that. But everyone was exposed to the Ten Commandments. You, I mean, you even got that in public school. You got prayer in public school. You had a basic understanding of Christian ethics, morality, ethics, values, all of that. It was just ingrained in a so-called Judeo-Christian culture that we used to live in here in the United States. And if you were not a Christian, you knew what a Christian was, because you knew a lot of people who were. You knew what they thought. You knew how they lived. You knew what they believed. And so if you became a Christian, it wasn't a far journey for you. I mean, you just accepted Christ and you kind of already knew what the Christian culture was. That's not the culture that you and I live in today. We are growing up and we are living among people growing up around us who have very little Christian experience. Even our young people, most in, in Christian circles throughout the United States aren't even going to Sunday school. So they're not getting grounded in the Bible stories like they used to. And, and that's just the people who claim to be Christians. 
Then you go outside the church, and there's almost no Christian exposure. There are young people growing up that don't know grandparents that ever knew Jesus, have relatives that ever knew Jesus. They have no biblical understanding. They know a few scriptures and a little bit of theology enough to take it all out of context and misuse it. So when one of them comes to follow Christ and they ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, they have to enter into a foreign world that most of us did not have to enter into because we were already living in a so-called Christian culture. Today, when somebody comes to Christ in the United States of America, they have to make a grand, grand leap into a culture that is completely foreign to them, that speaks a different language, that, that lives a different lifestyle, that has different values, that completely thinks differently about everything than the world that they grew up in and the people that they have lived around. It's a whole new culture. And it sometimes is hard for us who grew up in the other culture, the Judeo-Christian culture of our grandparents. It's hard for us sometimes to understand why those people just don't fit in right away. Why they don't talk like us and look like us and act like us the next day after they've come to Christ. Right? None of you have that problem. It's just me, I'm sorry. <laughs> You guys are looking at me like, how could you think that way? <laughs> we struggle with that a little bit. That's exactly what Paul was wrestling with, with the Colossians. And Paul is saying that with those people that come to Christ today in our culture, we had better give them some mercy and some grace that you and I did not need and we did not deserve. Because they are not making a small leap into faith. They are making a grand leap into a whole different world that they know nothing about. Can you imagine what it was like to have Jews who had gone to temple all of their life, knew all of the Ten Commandments, and knew all of the rules, the, you know, 614 rules that the Jews all kept and had memorized and all of that, and, and have one of those telling you what all the things you're doing wrong? <laughs> Whoa. Sometimes people who come to Christ today feel like that when they get around us we've been exposed to it all and they haven't and so Paul says to the people at Colossae he comes to the defense of these pagans who have become followers of Jesus who are so overwhelmed with all the rules that it seems that they, they just feel defeated in following Jesus and they've lost somehow their love for Jesus in the pursuit of trying to jump through all the hoops that have come along well, that doesn't mean that we don't need to see life change and transformation and all of that. Don't get me wrong here. 
It just means that in the process of getting there, we need to extend some grace and some mercy and some leniency and understand the great leap that they are taking. Paul says to them, do not let anyone judge you. Now that word let is an interesting word. It speaks of permission, giving someone permission to judge you or access to you or to allow someone to judge you. But if you look it up in the dictionary, it's interesting that the vast majority of the dictionary on the word let has to do with the idea of letting space. Like renting a house or leasing an apartment, that kind of thing. So when Paul says to these young believers, do not let anyone judge you, he's telling them not to allow somebody who knows so much more and knows all the rules and the way to do it come in and criticize and judge you in such a way that they start to take up space in your heart. They start to rent your heart. Because as soon as I allow judgment and criticism from someone else to come into my heart, I start creating a lack of space for Jesus. And we as believers never ever want to be in the position of taking a new believer in Jesus and allowing our criticism to take such a root in their heart that it drives room for Jesus out of their heart. Jesus will make those transformations if we don't get in the way too quick. That's a good word from God for all of us. The Bible is very high on accountability, on mentoring, on speaking the truth in love, in correcting and training in righteousness and all of those kind of things. And every one of us need to be open to all of that. But we are not to let people and their convictions about how we are to live begin to take up space in our hearts. Where Jesus wants to live and be Lord. So one of the questions that we have to ask is, Am I in the driver's seat of who I allow into my heart? Because if you just allow people, especially if you're a new convert and you're, and you're just trying to grab a hold and understand the Christian life and all of that, if you're a new convert, you, you can't allow a critical spirit to just destroy that and push Jesus out of there. You will never, ever be in control of other people. That's just a rule of human uh, relationships. And if you are, I wouldn't want to be in your place on Judgment Day. But you can be in control of yourself. You can be in control of whether you take someone's judgment of you and your behavior personally. You can avoid renting out your heart your mind and your will to someone else rather than giving it to Jesus. So get in the driver's seat 
in regard to judgment that other people pass on to you. That's your job as a, as a responsible Christian. Paul says, do not let. Do not rent out space in your heart to somebody who is being critical. Now, if you read your Bibles, you will discover that there is a time and a place for judging based on two factors. And I'm not going to go long into this because I preached two sermons in the last year on judging. But one of those factors is a person's experience and knowledge. We're dealing with that here in Colossae. These were new Christians who had no experience and no knowledge of the Old Testament, and yet they were expected, as soon as they came to Christ, to just live all of that. And so instead of focusing on Jesus, they were focusing on trying to figure out what the Old Testament was all about. Secondly, the other factor in terms of judgment is the consequences and the impact of your behavior. There are some things that we need to receive judgment on and give judgment on. Uh, for, for instance, um, there, a lot of these things had very little consequence. It didn't matter if these new believers observed all the ceremonial law and washed their hands just right before and after a meal. It didn't matter to them growing as a Christian. If they were being immoral, that mattered. And so you see there's those two factors, the person's experience and knowledge, and secondly, the consequences, the long-term effects on you and the people around you. And so for Paul, Paul said, this is not the right time and not the right place for judging. There's three issues that Paul brings up in, the, in this passage, and he says, food and drink is one of the issues, and he says, that's not moral or immoral. It's not good or bad, it's just amoral, it's neutral. And so in regard to food and drink, you know, that affects our health. But as long as it doesn't affect our witness and our work for Jesus, we shouldn't make a big deal about it. We shouldn't fret over that. Then one of the other things that these Jews were being very critical of, these new believers, was in regard to feast days and new moon celebrations. And all of that was connected to the Jewish calendar. And I would venture to say that none of us, even though many of us have been Christians for a long time, even understand the Jewish calendar. <laughs> but they, these new believers, they were expected to understand it and all of that. And Paul says those celebrations, all of that are symbolic reminders of the coming of the Messiah. And then, of course, there was the Sabbath. And you remember how many times I, I in my reading, Bible reading this, uh, this week, several days in my Bible reading, I've come across passages where Jesus was uh, being criticized by Pharisees for what he did on the Sabbath. It just seemed like every day there was a different passage about that in my Bible reading this week. You and I would worship on Saturday, if we kept the Sabbath, if we kept the Old Testament Sabbath, 
But we keep the Lord's Day. We keep Sunday because it is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and because we want to give God not the end of last week, but we want to give God the first fruits of the coming week, the very first day of the week. Well, then when we start to look at verse 17, Paul does something interesting here, and and he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you. And then he goes down and says, these are simply a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. Now, there are things that you do to get ready for Christmas. Every year, you do certain things to get ready for Christmas. I would hope that all of you buy some Christmas presents for at least someone. You probably get out a tree or go buy a tree and decorate the tree and you, you wrap some gifts and you, you plan a, you know, a Christmas dinner or some, some of those kind of events. But there are things that you do to get ready for Christmas every year that you don't keep doing after Christmas is over. You don't go out after Christmas and buy more gifts and plan more Christmas dinners and keep doing all the things that led up to Christmas. You don't keep decorating your house for Christmas for next year. No, you take the stuff down. Put it away. Sometimes March, but, you know, you put it away. So you don't, you know, you look forward to Christmas, but you don't keep doing those things that lead up to Christmas. If you're going to get married, I'll guarantee that there are some things that you do to get ready for a wedding, you don't keep doing those same things the guys are thinking about dating. <laughs> you know, they just quit doing it after the wedding is over. Um, <laughs> no, that wasn't what I was getting at. Um, <laughs> there are some things that you do to get ready for a wedding that you don't keep doing after the wedding is over. Thank goodness. <laughs> those months can be very stressful getting ready for a wedding. You don't keep doing those things because the wedding has come. That is the event. Those things were all preparation for it. And Paul says to us that much of the stuff that is in the Old Testament was preparation for Jesus. And once we get to Jesus, we want to stay there and we want to focus there. We don't want to go back and celebrate all the things that were to prepare us to get to Jesus. Now I want uh, Sean Rank, would you come up and help me? Matt, you might as well come up too. Here, Matt, you just hold this up here. That's a good one. You stand right here. Yep. Yeah. Now, what Matt is doing is creating a shadow of Sean. Now, Sean, I just want you to have a conversation with me. Just start out talking to me. How's it going? Really good. I'm having a good day. So, how's your day going? It's been great. What are you doing? <laughs> How would it be if every time I came to talk to you, I talked to your shadow instead of talking to you? 
How come you turned away from me when I was over here talking to your shadow? Because you turned away from me. (laughs) (laughs) That's the point that Paul wants to make. Thank you, guys. Are we good? Yeah. (laughs) That's the point that Paul wants to make for us, is that the Old Testament, a lot of those rituals, a lot of the new moon celebrations, and all those things from the Jewish calendar, and all... All of those ceremonial laws, those are just a shadow. And if, we, if we're followers of Christ, and you and I are so focused on the shadow, the things that were to prepare us to get to Jesus, we are offending Jesus when we are focused over here in the Old Testament. It's not that we throw out. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. You need to make sure that you don't take a new convert and put their focus any other place than on Jesus. Because if you do, it, it, you know, you're teaching them to ignore Jesus and to focus on all this other peripheral stuff out here. And Paul said, these new believers, they need to focus on Jesus. Those things are just a shadow. Where's my notes? Um, Those things are just a shadow of what is real. That's not reality. When I was talking to the shadow, that wasn't Sean. It was just a shadow. There's Sean. That's the reality. (laughs) And the same thing is true for each one of us. Um, we need to be as committed to Jesus as any Old Testament believer was committed to the law, as any Pharisee was committed to following the ceremonial law. You and I need to be that committed to Jesus. Now in verse 18, the King James Version starts out by saying, Let no man beguile you of your reward. It means to be declared unworthy of a reward, of a prize. It's an athletic term that the New, uh, the New, Interva- New International Version uh, translates disqualify. Today, if you participate in track and field, you might be disqualified for a um, false start. You might be disqualified from playing basketball if you're in high school, if your grades aren't good enough academically. You might be disqualified from an Olympic prize if you fail the drug test. So there's ways to be disqualified. And for these followers of Jesus at Colossae, Paul said there were, there were first the Jewish people who were, you know, taking them back to the Old Testament instead of focusing on Jesus. But he said also that there was a group of false teachers around Colossae who were disqualifying them and telling them they weren't good enough and, and you can't be a Christian and all, and all of that kind of stuff. And so they were feeling unworthy and unmotivated to continue walking with Jesus. And Paul says, do not let anyone disqualify you. Don't let people take away from you what God has given to you. And he doesn't make exceptions for that. He just says to you and to me, don't let people disqualify you. 
If God has done something in your life, don't let anyone rip it away from you. Hang on to Christ. There are some examples that he gives that don't make a lot of sense to us. Some false teachers with false humility would say that um, they um, weren't good enough to approach God with boldness. And so instead of going directly to God to worship him, they would worship angels. And this was happening in Colossae. And um, that kind of stuff. And it was because they were so humble, they just couldn't go directly to God. And so they would worship the angels. And, and when these new believers came and they were so excited about Christ and so excited about going to God, they, these other humble you know, angel um, worshipers were just being very critical and telling them they weren't worthy and they shouldn't try to uh, approach God directly in prayer and all of that. And then there were other false teachers who were into mystical ceremonies and horoscopes and spiritual substitutes for Christ. And instead of turning to the Bible, instead of turning to prayer, they would turn to these substitutes. And when we turn to substitutes, regardless of how good they are, we lose connection with Jesus. Jesus creates life in us. All of these other substitutes create the big heads that the scripture talks about and the arrogance hearts. But Jesus transforms us and he transforms our minds, he transforms our heart, and he transforms our will to do what he wants us to do. You can never expect spiritual, rituals, rules, and ceremonies to put life in you. It will not happen. They cannot produce spiritual life. You cannot speak to your body and say, pain, go away. Pain doesn't listen to your voice. Tell it to go away. Um, You cannot tell your blood pressure to drop. And it just drop. Because that just doesn't work. Man-made rules don't have power to change your life spiritually. Jesus alone has that transforming power. And so Paul Paul really says in in this, this last chunk of scripture here that living your life based on all of those kind of rules that don't focus on the Lord Jesus Christ is really kindergarten Christianity. And Paul wants every one of us to move past that, to become abstract thinkers that you develop when you're supposed to develop when you're middle school and high school and um, get past the do not handle and the do not taste and the do not touch uh, phase of Christianity and get into the place where I'm in a relationship with Jesus and Jesus can direct me. My life, my mind, my emotions, my will, and all of that. That is God's will. Um, for for us. So the question is, do you have freedom in Christ? Have you closed the door on letting people judge you? Have you distinguished between Jesus and all the shadow stuff in the Christian life? And have you stopped allowing people to disqualify you from following Christ?